McShane Bible Study, day 247, and we are starting in 1 Samuel 28. And um, uh, so the Philistines are going to make war against the Israelites. And, and yeah, Saul has a huge sin. He's, he's afraid. He doesn't trust in the Lord anymore. Right? And so he's afraid. And so what does that cause him to do? To turn even farther away. Fear is worship of Satan. Mm-hmm. And so once he's worshiping Satan by being afraid, not trusting God, mm-hmm. he then turns further away and does something he absolutely shouldn't do. He's wanting to know answers from God. Samuel had previously given those to him. So he does something completely against God's will to get those in. It didn't make any sense, but he's obviously not being led by the Lord at this point. Um, and so he seeks out a medium to call the spirit of Samuel to him. And, you know, Weston asked me before I started, it, it's a tricky thing because I, because people do this kind of stuff all the time. And it's, I, I believe it's demons speaking to them. Uh, but this appears to actually be Samuel speaking to him, which it's kind of crazy, but, uh, you know, perhaps because it's such a pivotal time in history, the changing of the kingdom from Saul to David, uh, I don't know. It's, it's a difficult chapter, uh, but that's kind of all I have for that. And then we move to 1 Corinthians 9, and uh, I realized I quoted this chapter yesterday. I, I think I said it says somewhere. I didn't realize I was going to say it in the next chapter, but... Um, so he's talking, basically all of this chapter, he's talking about the fact that he certainly has rights to things. He would be free to do things, to take advantage of things that he's not. And he's quite proud of the fact that he's not. So he, you know, he's saying they, they should be supporting him financially. That's, that's a proper principle. But he says, I'm not doing anything to put a stumbling block in front of you. I'm trying to make the way as easy as possible for you to come to the Lord. Um, He's saying he absolutely could have a wife as the other apostles have, but he's, he's trying to pour out every one of his own rights in order to live for the Lord. And so he's saying, you know, I'm, I'm doing everything to the weak. I became weak that I might win the week. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. He's saying, I'm willing to lay down my life in any way necessary in order to help others know the Lord. And and he talks about how he does it personally, because earlier it was implied in the beginning, uh, verse 3, this is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right? So-and-so, he goes on. Um, and then at the end, he says, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So he's, he's basically saying, you're, you're trying to, to judge me, and yet you're not qualified to judge. However, I judge myself very severely every day between me and the Lord. Mm-hmm. Make sense? Okay. And we move to Ezekiel 7, and this is a day of the wrath of the Lord, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It's important to remember, it's not mentioned in this chapter, 
uh, probably, I don't remember what's in the next chapter, but it might be mentioned in the next because the two are always tied hand in hand. But when, when the Lord cleans his house, he always pulls out a remnant. So he cleans with fire, right? And burns it up and destroys that which no longer represents him. But he pulls out a remnant and replants a, a new remnant, a new garden, right? So that's, should always be inferred when we read about it, because this is otherwise a quite a heavy chapter. Right? So, chapter, uh, verse 4. And my eye will not spare you, nor will I have pity, but I will punish you for your ways while your abominations are in your midst. Then you will know that I am the Lord. He says, I will wake people up. I will make, I will make the world aware who I am, because their ways will come to their end, right? They're, they will, they're living in a way that ends in eternal destruction. I will let them see that in the here and now, right? Mm-hmm. That's a blessing, right? If our ways are leading to eternal destruction, shouldn't we want to know that now so that we can turn around? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 13, for the seller shall not return to what he has sold while they live, For the vision concerns all their multitude, it shall not turn back. And because of his iniquity, none can maintain his life. So, um, this, it was talking about, well, I didn't highlight that one. The the previous verse is, the time has come, the day has arrived. Let not the buyer rejoice, nor the seller mourn, for wrath is upon all their multitude. So he's saying the economic despair, right? Mm -hmm. The system breaking down. 14, they have blown the trumpet and made everything ready, but none goes to battle, for my wrath is upon all their multitude. So they turn around and they want to fight, but they they can't. There's no way to go. They don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. Right? There's not a clear enemy to strike. They're just in despair. See that? 21, and I will give it into the hands of foreigners for prey, into the wicked of the earth for spoil, and they shall profane it. I will turn my face from them, and they shall profane my treasured place. Robbers shall enter it and profane it. Forge a chain, for the land is full of bloody crimes, and the city is full of violence. I will bring the worst of the nations to take possession of their houses. I will put an end to the pride of the strong, and their holy places shall be profaned. When anguish comes, they shall seek peace, but there shall, shall be none. He's talking about I, this, this Jerusalem, right? This temple, this people, the city that I established, this church that no longer represents me. I will bring it down. Like we see the, the, the harlot in Revelation. There's this picture of this harlot riding the beast. And we see these foreigners coming in. So it's a clear picture of that, right? Ezekiel was talking about Jerusalem. It, hadn't, it had fallen once, but it hadn't totally fallen yet. But th- that's, Israel is a picture of the church, right? And so he says, look, look at all the abominations within my people. This cannot be allowed to stand. I have a purpose for mankind, and th- and my people do not represent me. Therefore, I will bring down this way that does not represent me and start anew with a people willing to give me their whole lives, mm-hmm. right? To follow all my ways, mm-hmm. right? Okay. And we finish in John 8, and 
I highlighted a bunch of different things. The first thing that stood out to me, at least the way ESV does it, is this chapter starts in the middle of a sentence. <laughs> That's kind of odd. But uh, going down to verse 6, This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. So this is the story of the adulterous woman that they bring to him, because the law of Moses says you're supposed to stone her, and they they want to test him, right? Mm-hmm. The reason I, I did that verse is, this is just my thought on it, because why does he write on the ground? I think he's taking a moment... A lot of times, I know I do, we feel the need to give a quick answer, mm-hmm. right? I'm thinking at this moment, he, he wanted to seek the Lord. He wanted to seek the Father, right? And so that was his way of buying time to pray. He went down and started writing in the dirt with his finger while they're all sitting there <laughs> waiting for his answer. While he listens to the Father. Father, what should I do in this situation? You see that? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes, you know, people ask you a question, you you feel this need to give a quick response, right? But Mm -hmm. you don't don't always need to give a quick response. What's what's better, to give a quick response or to talk to the Lord and give the right response? Give the right response. Right, and we see that's what he did. 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We talk about this all the time, right? Mm-hmm. It's Jesus saying it right there. As the, as the darkness continues to increase, it, it's for the purpose of those who are walking in the light to be seen brightly by others so that they will know who to go to, Right? 20, these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he's saying really bold things that are very offensive to the Pharisees in this chapter. But John's saying they didn't arrest him now because God was protecting them. God can change hearts and minds. So people decide to, you know, not do what really they would like to do. Right? Mm-hmm. God is in charge of everything. He was saying the most offensive things to them, and they did nothing in this chapter because his time had not yet come. Right? God was protecting them, even in the hearts of the people that hated him. You see that? 23, he said to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. So when we talk about entering the life of Christ, We talk about entering this world that he's talking about. A world that even though you stand in the same world, the people that don't know God are in. You're actually entering into a reality that is above the reality of the world around us. You see that? Okay. 29. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. So he says this a couple different ways. And he says it both about himself and the Father and about us and him. He says, God is with me because I always do the things that are pleasing to him. I walk in the will of the Father, therefore he's always with me. Those two go hand in hand. One is not without the other. 
You understand? It's important because it's not typically the way Christians live. 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you, if, if, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Mm-hmm. I think that's the, that last part is the part that's on the UT Tower. Um, if you abide in my word, then you are my disciples. Mm-hmm. Right? And you will know the truth. There's a progression there, and it's a beautiful thing. You'll be set free by the truth by following me, following my will, living my way. 34. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. What is sin? Missing the mark. Missing the mark. Good job. So it's not living this life that he calls us to. He says you got two choices. You're slave to sin, or you abide in me and follow my way, right? And then 51, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. That's when they called him a Samaritan, I think. But he's saying you will enter into eternal life. This life from above that I just said I live in, you can live in this too. It's eternal life. And then when your body dies, it will be as nothing to you because you've already died to it. And you have taken on the eternal life. Mm-hmm. Right? This is more than just a, just a religion, just a theory. It's an actual practice of who, how we live, who we are. You see that? Mm-hmm. That's what he's calling us to. That's what he's inviting us to. Mm-hmm. That's the glory of the gospel, of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Lord. That's all I have. Do you have anything else? Uh, no. God bless you. All right. God bless you. I saw you look at the thing. No, I'm, I'm not really aware of that time.